0: I want to invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one of these black Bibles in front of you. They're on a seat rack near your seat. Um, Go ahead and grab this. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Take it with you. We'd love for you to walk out with with a Bible this morning. Um, And the page number for Luke 8 in this Bible is uh, 723. 723. So invite everybody to, to turn to Luke 8. And when you get there, stick your finger in that passage because we're going to come back to it in just a minute. But I want to ask you this question. Have you ever had a moment where all hope seems lost? Have you had a moment where there is just nothing that you could do? You felt helpless. You felt hopeless. I've, I've had a moment like that. There's one in particular that comes to mind, and I I don't know about you, but when we face those moments, I I ask this question, and if you're following along in the notes, when all hope seems lost, what do we do? What do we do? For me, that one moment that sticks out was my sister Kaylee. Kaylee. Uh, I've I've shared about her before, um, and maybe you remember that, maybe you don't. And I was even debating whether or not I should tell this story. Um, But it fits so well for what this feels like when all hope seems lost. Um, So if you haven't heard it, this is new to you. But if you have, this will be somewhat maybe familiar. But um, my sister Kaylee, a few years ago, she was diagnosed with leukemia. And uh, this was a really hard thing for my family. She, she had been well, but, you know, was a little off. And, and we unfortunately caught it kind of late. So there was a lot of things she went through right away. She was in intensive care and, and all that kind of stuff. But once she made it past that first stage and got on her treatment plan, things were doing, things were going really well. Um, and the doctors were really pleased. They were really excited about the progress that she was making. And it was like, okay, we can get this under control. But then Christmas time came along. And uh, we went in for a checkup and they found that the leukemia was growing back. And so they decided to, to ramp up uh, the intensity of her treatment, be a little more aggressive on it, and uh, slowly, over time, complications started to, to develop. And uh, by that spring, the doctors decided, you know what, she needs to just be in the hospital so we can monitor her constantly. And eventually, they moved us down to St. Louis to Barnes um, because their their care was going to be a little bit better. But uh, my parents, I was I was in seminary at the time. My parents called me and said, "You know what? You you should probably come out. Uh, Just things aren't things aren't good. Things aren't looking great. So, and we'd love to just be together." And so, in late April, my wife and I we flew flew home and and got to be with my family uh, through some difficult moments. Uh, and there, was, there were a couple of moments that stick out to me. One, um, complications were, were rising, and, and her blood pressure and kidneys weren't working as they, as they were supposed to. And so the doctors, they had been talking about a stem cell transplant and they decided to, to pull the trigger on that. And my brother, he was a perfect match. Uh, he, he was exactly what they were looking for. So they decided to, to take the stem cells from him and uh, we're going to give it to my sister. But in that moment, there was nothing that I could do. I felt helpless. I, I don't know that he felt that way. He probably felt like I get to do something, I'm, I'm contributing in some way. Um, but just waiting and praying, I just, I felt helpless. Well, a few days go by and, and she just keeps getting worse and getting worse and they'd they given the, the, the transplant, but it usually takes weeks before you see any, any fruit. Um, but after a few days, the doctor pulls my parents aside and they invite me to come with and she, she says this, I need to tell you how sick Kaylee really is. Her blood pressure is really pretty bad. And she's on a medicine that's acting like constant CPR. That was the moment for me. That moment when she said that statement, all hope seemed lost. There was nothing more that the doctors could do. We started talking about DNRs and what we want to do and um, all hope in what the doctors could do was lost. And she died a, a few days later. This was a moment for me when all hope seemed lost. I don't know about you. I don't know if you have a story or some moment that comes to your mind where you resonate with that where you feel helpless, where you feel hopeless, like you can't do anything. Maybe you were in a hospital room just like that. The story that plays in your mind, you, were, you lived like I did. Maybe for you it was the death of a loved one or they're approaching death. Maybe for you it's a broken relationship. You've got a son or a daughter or a friend who just, it's, it's not right. Things are hard and there just doesn't seem to be a way forward. Or maybe it's even your job. You go every day and it just feels empty and draining and there's no hope in it. My my assumption, the, the, the thing that I'm operating with is this, that we all face moments like that. So if you're following along in the notes, we all face moments of helplessness and hopelessness. What's your moment? What's your story that comes to your mind where you felt this way? I want you to hold that in your mind. Be, keep that in, in your thoughts. And I want you to hear this story from Luke chapter eight. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying.
1: I sat there, watching my little girl struggle to breathe. She was struggling for life.
2: The doctor had come. Again. I saw it in his eyes.
1: I looked up and I knew this was it. Nothing more could be done.
2: I saw a defeat in the doctor's eyes and then I saw the sadness well up in my dad.
1: He said that she'd probably...
2: The doctor told them that I wouldn't get better.
1: How was I supposed to respond to that? No, no, there had to be something else.
2: I watched my dad try to figure out what he could do.
1: I'd I'd heard of this man named Jesus and he had been here before and he was supposed to be coming back soon. Actually, I could hear the crowds gathering and supposedly
3: he He could could heal heal people. people.
0: As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years but no one could heal her.
3: I'd been looking for him. I'd heard things. And I'd been so sick. And I hoped.
1: I kissed my daughter, and I got up. I rushed to the center of town, and he was there. He was surrounded by people. I threw myself at his feet. I begged, Jesus, my daughter, please come with me to my house. Please come. Can you come quickly?
3: It felt like forever. I had been sick for 12 years. Declared unclean for 12 years. So many doctors. Never a cure. But now, maybe.
1: Jesus, my daughter, she needs you. And she needs you right now. If you could just come to my home with me. I know you could do something.
2: If I could just maybe touch. I kept getting worse and worse. I could hardly open my eyes and I was struggling to breathe. Hurry, please hurry.
1: He said he'd come and we left immediately and I was full of hope. I knew if we could just get there in time.
3: If I could just reach his clothes, just the edge of his cloak. Maybe that would be enough, and no one would know. And
0: the woman came behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately
2: it just it just stopped.
1: Jesus just stopped.
2: My heart it stopped. stopped. It just he it just, just stopped. stopped.
3: The bleeding it stopped. Twelve years
1: he stopped we were going and we were going to make it in time why'd he stop
0: who touched me Jesus asked
3: no don't ask me don't give me away I'm not supposed to be here
0: when they all denied it Peter said master the people are crowding and pressing against you but Jesus said someone touched me I know that power has gone out from me.
3: I didn't want anyone to see me, anyone to know. I thought...
1: I thought we were going to my house and to my daughter.
3: I thought I could stay unnoticed.
1: Jesus, please, keep going. We don't have time for this. I mean, who's not touching you?
0: Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed came trembling and fell at his feet.
3: I, uh, I did it, Jesus. I touched you. I touched you in the bleeding. It stopped. After 12 years, countless doctors. It stopped.
0: In the presence of all the people, Jesus said to her, Daughter, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace.
3: Daughter. He called me daughter. And it was over. Just like that. No more sickness. No more loneliness. I thought of all the people I had missed. All the life I hadn't been around for. And it was over. And he called me daughter. Daughter? What about my daughter?
0: While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore.
1: I couldn't process those words.
3: I will always remember his exact words. He said, daughter, Your faith has healed you. And everyone heard, everyone knew.
1: Jesus, you could have rescued my little girl. I came to you for help with my daughter. Now what?
0: Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed.
1: I didn't know what to think, he still wanted to go. When we arrived to my home, he wouldn't let anybody in except for James and John, Peter, her mother and I.
0: Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep.
1: The people laughed because she was dead. We went up to her room and she was so still. She was so cold.
3: I had no life. Lifeless, But no longer.
1: Jesus, he walked over to her bed and took her by the hand, and like it was morning, he said, My child, get up.
2: And then, in an instant, I opened my eyes. I could open my eyes. And the first thing that I saw was Jesus. It was him.
1: It was her. It was my daughter, alive and awake, not even sick anymore, because of Jesus.
3: Because of him. He brought me back when no one else could. It was Jesus. He restored my life. My whole whole life. life.
0: Jesus took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished. Let's unpack this. Jesus wants to do this for you. But that's hard to believe, isn't it? It's hard to believe that that would be true, right? I mean, we have these moments where all hope seems lost, but sometimes we don't see it play out the way we want to. Whether it's we can't control the outcome, we don't know where things are going, we don't know how to to act it out. Whether it's we're afraid of what's going to take place, whether the reality of things is going to be, there are these things that get in the way of believing it, right? There are these moments where we believe a lie, or we believe some bad news, something that just gets in the way of us receiving what Jesus wants to do. What is it for you? When your moment comes, when all hope seems lost, what is it for you? There's a space on your notes. Even if you're thinking about this, what's your story? What's the moment that seems all hope is lost? I think we can see from our two characters that Jesus wants to give us hope. So first for for Jairus, he's a synagogue leader. He's a a guy of upstanding uh, status in the community. And so he comes to Jesus pleading because his only daughter is dying. His only daughter. And and the text mentions that she's 12 years old. And and for this community, for this culture, 12-year-olds were getting close to marrying age. They were in a few years going to be married off and start a family of their own. And that was really, really important for this culture. And that was being taken away. That was being taken away. And she wasn't going to have that opportunity. And, and, and most likely there had been doctors, people involved trying to help her, and there's nothing that they can do, and, and Jairus comes to Jesus grasping at straws. This is a last-ditch last effort for him, and so he comes to Jesus. Will you come? Will you heal my daughter? I know you can. He had heard what Jesus was like, and so Jesus comes. He's, he's like, oh yeah, let's go, and so on the way, they're going. They're going and stop, Jesus stops. For Jairus, time was of the essence. He needed to get back to his daughter. He needed to take Jesus with him. And Jesus stops. Have you felt like Jesus just stopped? Whatever your moment is, when all hope seems lost, does it feel like Jesus just stopped? That's what he did for Jairus. He just stopped. Well, enter the woman. The crowd is pressing against Jesus. She's in the crowd. She has been has this flow of blood for 12 years. No one could heal her. That's what the text tells us. She'd gone to doctors. No one could heal her. One of the things that Luke doesn't mention, but Mark does, is this. And if you see it here on the notes in Mark 5. Excuse me on the screen. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Instead of getting better, she grew worse. Mark makes the comment that this woman had given all of her resources, all of her wealth to this. We don't know how wealthy she was, but we know now she's poor. She had spent all that she had. And for 12 years, no one could do anything. She has this ailment, she's poor, and she's unclean. According to Levitical law, a woman who has a flow like this is declared unclean. And what that means is she's not allowed to go to the temple. She's not allowed to participate in the synagogue. She is not allowed to sit on a cushion that someone else could sit on because the cushion becomes unclean. And so does the person who sits on it after her. She is cut off from community. Imagine what life was like for her, where she has to walk into a room and say, Hey, I'm unclean. And everybody goes like this. Twelve years of this. She's been cut off. She's been lonely and has no answer. She's helpless, she's hopeless. Imagine what it was like to be these two characters. Imagine what it's like to be in these moments where all hope seems lost. What is it for you? What are these things that get in the way of really believing that that there's hope? Because hope doesn't seem to be present, right? If you're following along in the notes, we see that both Jairus and the woman seek Jesus. Because they have nowhere else to turn, they have nowhere else to turn. This was it, last-ditch effort, grasping at straws. There's no hope otherwise. What is this moment for you? Is it a sickness? Is it a relationship? Is it a set of circumstances you just can't see the way forward? do you feel helpless? Do you feel hopeless? I did. With my sister, I felt hopeless. There was nothing that I could do. What do you think Jesus has to say about that? What do you think Jesus wants to say in moments like these? I think, I think he wants to say, There is hope. There is hope. If you're following along in the notes, I think this is what Jesus wants to say. Jesus gives us hope in the middle of our hopelessness. Jesus gives us hope in the middle of our hopelessness. In this entire chapter, Luke has been building Uh, talking about this one question, answering this one question, who is Jesus? And so if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jeff taught on the calming of the storm. The disciples are in the boat, and it gets pretty rocky, and a storm blows in, and he calms it. And Luke is answering a particular question, who is Jesus, in light of that story? He is the one who has power and authority even over nature, over disasters, and then last week, Pastor Steve taught on uh, a guy who is possessed by demons. And Jesus comes in, and, and this guy has got a legion of demons in him. And he casts them out. Showing that he has power and authority over the spiritual realm, over demons. And today, we see Luke answering the question in another way. That Jesus has power and authority even over disease and death itself. All of these things have been answering the question that Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. He has power and authority over disasters, demons, disease, and death. None of this is above him. That's who Jesus is. He has power and authority. That's what Luke is trying to tell us. So we get to our story today and we hear that Jesus wants to heal and restore. So if you're following along in the notes... Jesus has power and authority to heal and restore. That's who he is. So let's see this play out. If you look down at verse 44, we'll begin with the woman. She came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. So here for a moment, she's like, oh, it happened. It happened. But then what happens next? Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. So picture this for the woman she just received this healing. It's what she's been looking for. But then Jesus stops and begins to look for her. Now, imagine what's going through her mind. She's probably like, wait, I did something wrong. I'm in trouble. He's going to call me out, or, or he's going to want something from me. Like she gets panicky. She's trembling with fear. What's going to happen next? Because she just crossed a line in her mind. How does Jesus respond? What does he say to her? And if you actually look in the first gray box in your notes, I want to read this out loud together. Then Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Daughter. This woman who had been cut off from community for 12 years, who hadn't had a healthy human relationship in forever, Jesus calls her daughter. This is a familial term. He's connecting himself to her by saying daughter. No longer is she cut off, but in front of everybody, Jesus says, you're my daughter. I'm with you. And not only is she healed physically, but she's restored in her relationships with the community. Maybe for you, that's exactly what you need to hear. Nothing else today. You need to hear God say to you, daughter, son, I love you. You are mine. Maybe that's the good news for you today. When all hope seems lost, God loves you. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. But wait a minute. Jesus stops, meets this woman's need, what happens with Jairus? In verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, came. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Just like that, it's gone for Jairus. There was hope. He got to Jesus. Jesus was coming with him. Time was at the essence and Jesus stops. And he meets this need of this woman but it costs Jairus his daughter's life. What does Jesus say in response to this? If you look in your second gray box, can we read this out loud together? Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. Jesus turns to Jairus and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid that your daughter just died. All hope is not lost. Just believe. Just believe. You see, Jairus had in his mind that if we got there in time, things were going to be okay. And in a moment, all that hope was taken away. But Jesus says to him, no, all hope is not lost. Death does not get the final say. I do. Just believe. Maybe for you, that's the good news that you need to hear. That that Jesus says in your moment where all hope seems lost, don't be afraid, just believe. Trust me. Trust me. Uh, There's this this tension that that Jairus feels. He doesn't understand how it's all going to play out. He just hears Jesus say, believe me. Believe me. Well, I think here's why, and we get the benefit of hindsight. Jesus came to do a very specific thing when he came to earth. And Romans 6 talks about this. That when Jesus comes, he's coming with power for a purpose. So if you look here on the screen. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Because Jesus came and died and rose, death no longer has power over him. And it no longer has power over us because of him. This is who Jesus is. This is what he came to do. He came to be master over death. So no longer does it have the final say, but he does. He does. This is the power of Jesus. This is his authority. This is who he is. I also want to point out the way that he acts, the way that he is. If you look at both of our characters, when they come to him, how does Jesus respond to them? I think he responds like this, and if you're following along in the notes, the way of Jesus is compassionate power. Compassionate power. He he looks at Jairus, the synagogue leader, this guy was standing in the community, and he says, okay, I'm gonna help you. I'm going to come with you. And he looks at the woman who's been ostracized from the community he calls her daughter. He has compassion in the way that he uses his power. He wields his power, this immense authority that he has for our benefit, with compassion to meet our needs. He doesn't ask for things in return. He doesn't say it's got to be just like this. He has compassion on us. He has compassion for you right now in whatever your all hope seems lost moment. Jesus has compassion for you. He meets you right where you are. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel like there's nobody who's walking beside you in this moment. Jesus is right there because he has compassion on you. Jesus wants to give us hope right in the middle of our hopelessness. That's what he came to do. That's what he's doing in this text and this story. How do we respond to that? What does this look like for us practically? I think we see this play out, and if you're following along in the notes, we're to trust Jesus with humility and patience. Trust Jesus with humility and patience. I think this is is the big takeaway, what what the call of this text is. See, if you look in Jesus' two statements, faith is elevated. When he speaks to the woman, he says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Your faith, it's your trust in me that's healing you. And for Jairus, it's don't be afraid, just believe, and she'll be healed. This is what Jesus is calling us to, is to trust him. To look to him when our moments come. It's to to go with him, to trust him when we don't know where else to go. And we do that with humility. I think what we see with Jairus and the woman is they're both coming to him humbly. If you see that when Jairus approaches him, he falls to his knees. He's pleading with him. He doesn't come as, I'm the synagogue ruler. You have to do this for me. Now he comes, Jesus, help. I need your help. He comes humbly. And the woman who's been cut off from community comes trying to hide, trying to be secretive. But when Jesus seeks her out, she falls before him on her knees. She submits herself humbly and in faith to him. We don't come with a sense of entitlement. Like, God, you have to. Because, you know, this is who you are. It's in humility. There were moments with my sister where I was like, God, you promise to be at work in people's lives. Be at work this way. You can do this, Lord. It's for your benefit. Like, what would a story like this be for people to hear how you healed her? That was part of my prayer. And it's so easy to slip into, God, you have to heal her. Rather than, God, will you heal her? We come in humility. We also come in patience. The the passage doesn't explicitly mention patience, but we see this woman who's had this issue for 12 years. I'm sure she's been desiring for God to heal her, and he could have at any given moment along the way, whether through doctors, whether through some medicine, or just instantly, he just did it. But for 12 years, she waited patiently. The same thing for Jairus in, this, in a smaller example. He, he comes to Jesus, he's walking with him, and Jesus stops, and he has to stop with him. Now, this seemed like the worst idea in Jairus' mind, but if he shows a little patience and believes, he's gonna see her healed. The call is for patience, not to say it's gotta be on our terms, but it's on Jesus' terms. And he does what is best, We come patiently. We come humbly. We come with faith. But I think something needs to be pointed out. My sister wasn't healed. Maybe your moment, you didn't see God work the way you wanted to. The promise isn't that Jesus will heal like we think. The promise is that he's going to help us get through it. He gives us hope. And and here's why. It's because we are looking forward to the future where our hope will be fully realized. You see, Jesus came to heal and he's gonna heal everyone. That's part of what we're looking forward to. That's part of what heaven's all about, but it may not happen the way we think. So if you're following along in the notes, here's an idea I think it's really helpful for us. Trust not in what Jesus will do, but in who he is. Trust not in what Jesus will do, but in who he is. And there's a passage that's helpful for us in 1 Peter um, that, that points to this reality. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. This verse is talking about the inheritance that we are guaranteed. This is where our hope lies. Jesus is going to heal us. He's going to heal our loved ones. That's the promise that he gives us ultimately. But for me, for my sister, she didn't experience that in this life. I prayed for that. I prayed that she would be healed right now, that she'd have a full life here on this earth. But God didn't grant that. What he did grant was her healing in heaven. She now is fully restored. She is free from her cancer. And she gets full life it just wasn't realized right now. God can. God can do that. He did it for these two characters. He may do it for you. He may have done that for you. But he promises to give us hope in the middle of our hopelessness even if we don't see it fully realized the way we expect. So I think we can pray. Can pray for healing. Absolutely. But we pray for it humbly and patiently. So what, what does this look like? I, maybe there's just a couple more things that I can give you that might be helpful. For me, when my sister was sick, I, just, I saw these three things kind of help me. It was coming to Jesus, praying to him, and releasing control. That, those were some of the things that I saw. So it was, it was coming to him at the very beginning, at the very end, consistently coming to Jesus. And it was praying prayers like this. God, I want you to heal her. Will you please heal her? But regardless, would you help me get through by giving me hope? Praying prayers like that and then learning to release control. That doesn't mean I still didn't act. I still didn't take part. We we went to doctors. We got medicine. But we released control to him. This is what it looks like to trust. Trust. So what's your moment? What's your moment where all hope seems lost? Where you can't see the way forward, you feel like you don't have control, where you feel helpless and hopeless? What does it look like to come to Jesus in trust, with humility and patience? Jesus wants to give you hope right in the middle of your hopelessness. And he's gonna help bring you through. So whether your moment is a hospital room where you feel like there's no way forward, the doctors are are reaching the end of their rope, come to Jesus. Maybe you've got a loved one who's facing the end of their life. You don't know how to care for them. You don't know what to say, what to do. Trust Jesus. He wants to give you hope. Maybe you've got a broken relationship in your family or with a friend. You've got a son or daughter who just wants nothing to do with you. The life they're leading is headed for disaster. Trust Jesus. He's going to give you hope. Or maybe you just don't know how to handle your workplace. The environment is toxic. You feel like it's oppressive. There's nothing there for you that feels life-giving. Cling to Jesus for hope. He wants to give it to you. So the last line of notes is a prayer suggestion for you. This is a way that maybe we can just come to the Lord initially in whatever moment we have before us. So if you're following, help me trust you when all hope seems lost. Praying that prayer. Help me trust you when all hope seems lost. This is what Jesus wants to do for us. He wants to give us hope in the middle of our hopelessness the worship team's gonna come out and they're gonna play a song for us. And this song is a great way that we can corporately respond to Jesus and who he is. It talks about who he is, the the power and authority to heal that he has in his hands. And so, wherever you are right now, whatever your moment is where all hope seems lost, this can be a time where you give it to the Lord. You can entrust it to him. You can trust him with it. And so wherever you are, take whatever posture you need to. If your heart is burdened, you feel oppressed, you feel like there's no way forward, this is a time to give it up, to pray to him. Or maybe you feel like you just need to declare this out loud. We invite you to do that. So feel free to sit, to to listen to the music, to listen to the lyrics. Feel free to stand, to sing out loud. Feel free to kneel and submit to him. Wherever you are right now, we want you to take the posture that's most helpful for you to face this moment that you've got. Because Jesus wants to give you hope in the middle of your hopelessness. So let's come together before our Lord.